This is Monstras. episode of Monstras, a podcast dedicated to Latin American and Latinx horror, folklore, history, and all things weird. I am Brenda Salguer Ro. And with me today is Orquidia Morales. <laughs> See, um, that's why I included my name there, because that I knew you were going to do something with my name. So now you get to say <laughs> both names. Hi, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's actually really smart. That's so smart of you. God dang it. <laughs> I tricked you. Ah, <laughs> uh, you tricked me. So, we are so excited to be talking about this topic today. As y'all know, we are doing a special series of episodes from uh, for this summer. We're calling it Dangerous Summer or Verano Peligroso. So listen at your own risk. That's right. And I'm so I'm so excited. So okay, there were two major influences for this. Uh, first, we both like true crime. Yes. And we wanted to dedicate some time to really thinking through some of the most horrific serial killers in Latin America. So this is just like a, an appetizer of serial killers in Latin America, because there are a lot of them, a lot more than I thought. There's a lot. There's a lot. And there's also other podcasts that are dedicated to crime in Latin America, which I appreciate, yeah. you know, that they exist. So we don't venture this into this realm too much. No, we don't. <laughs> but it's, it's fun to like dip our toes into the, the cool water of death, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> As if we don't do that every I time. know. <laughs> Real death, I guess. We usually deal with fictional or myth- mythological deaths. That's true. That's right. But okay, so that's one of the influences. The other influence or inspiration was the movie Verano Peligroso. Have you ever heard about it, Brenda, or watched it? No, so I have not. I've never heard of it. <laughs> it. It has nothing to do with true crime. It is not. It is. Okay, so this movie came out in the 90s. It came out in 1991, and I remember watching it with my family. Uh, we'll, oh, God. We'll share, okay. like, trailer and uh, images on social media for folks that haven't seen it. Um, but it stars uh, Alejandra Guzman, who's a really well-known singer oh yeah mm-hmm. that sounds familiar yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Alejandro Guzman. and then omar fierro and sebastian ligarde who were at that time like the hunks um, they're not so hunky anymore yeah. <laughs> that kind of happens yeah when... and it was uh directed by rene cardona jr who is well known for directing all sorts of shit from like dramas to movies about el santo and a lot of raunchy comedies like this one and risa en vacaciones did you ever watch uh, Recent Vacaciones? No, I didn't watch that many. So I never grew up watching that many, like, Spanish um, programming. Like, I always, I don't know, my parents had never really got me into it. Like, I remember La Chilendrina, mm-hmm. uh, Calle, what was it called, that show? Uh, El Chavo de Ocho, Del Ocho. Yeah, mm-hmm. El Chavo de, de Ocho, de right? Ocho. Del Ocho. So, yeah, and he lived in, like, a bucket or yeah. something. A, a, a barrel. <laughs> a bucket. A barrel. He lived, in a, he lived in a barrel. I mean, considering how the economy, maybe now he lives in a bucket. Like, yeah, he had he to had downgrade to down- from the barrel to a bucket. <laughs> he had to downsize because 
It got real bad. Yeah. It got real bad. <laughs> well, like movies like Risa and Vacaciones, that one's kind of like um impractical jokers, that show. Where people like do oh. pranks on people, that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh but raunchy with a lot of women in bikinis because they're in like uh I think they're in Acapulco. Um so it's just oh three guys God. running around playing pranks on people and most of them or a lot of the pranks revolve around nudity or sex or gross. Of course. Of course. I expect nothing less. Yeah. <laughs> so okay, so Verano Peligroso is about a young woman who right after getting married on her wedding night ends up having sex with the best man. And then it's kind of like, who do I want to be with? My husband or the best man? And so it's a romantic comedy. It has some like musical numbers, really, really raunchy. Um, and that's part of the inspiration for for this summer series. I, I don't understand the connection between this romantic comedy and true crime. Yeah, like how did you bridge that? Like what is going on? I... I Okay, I didn't. I, I I just love the phrase Verano Peligroso. It just sounds so cool. And there's also a song called Verano Peligroso that's super catchy. Um, we'll share the link for people so they can listen to it. So I just thought, you know, the idea that dangerous is used really lightly in the title. Um, but in day-to-day context, dangerous is a lot bigger. <laughs> Yes, yes. Yeah. But I do I do love that phrase, Verano Peligroso. Like, it's such a cool phrase. It's so good. And yeah, like in the movie, the danger is very minimal. But for Verano Peligroso, since we're talking about true crime, we're going to be talking about Florencio Fernandez from Argentina. We'll be talking about him in this episode. Uh, the next episode will be Las Poquianchis from Mexico. And then in August, we'll do Luis Garavito from Colombia. Um, and in, in our Patreon episodes, we'll also touch a little bit on true crime. So if you're not a member, you should totally join ASAP. Yes. And before we dive into our first killer, we thought it was important to talk about why why true crime. Why, why true crime, right? <laughs> why? 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 <laughs> so we know there has been an oversaturation of true crime stories everywhere, especially white ones. White, you know, everything on Hulu is like white, white, white. Um, and in in podcasts, TV shows, films. So why why do these episodes, right? And as we mentioned before, other podcasts do these too. Yeah. I think when we first started the podcast, we were both interested in covering stories fiction and non-fiction legends horrific things because we're morbidly curious about yes them. Uh, but also because a lot of the discussions about these topics available in english language media were either superficial or didn't have a lot of the cultural and historical context that we kind of try to hit on right to kind of provide a more uh nuance approach to it Oh, yes. Yeah. So I think part of the drive, at least for me, in doing these episodes, is to show how these crimes don't happen in a vacuum. They have they have a larger social historical context that we can learn from them. So we also know that some folks consider the true crime genre to also be very exploitative, and that's kind of the conversation that was going that has been going on recently. Like that, I've noticed is uh, as someone who listens to a lot, and I mean a lot of true crime. <laughs> Uh, 
But I have to agree to a certain extent because in my personal opinion, I believe all true crime is exploitative in some sort of way. A lot of it though depends on how it is framed and how these very real victims are portrayed. And I think we sometimes forget and really treat true crime like we treat fictional stories with like characters and these like evil evil characters and victims and we really have to remember that these are real actual people who went through terrible things. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's really important to remember, right? Like sometimes reality is more horrific than anything we could come up with or any legends or folklore and it's important to think about why that is Um, yeah and it's crazy because a lot of our folklore sometimes are inspired by true crime that's true so with that in mind let's dive into today's case um it's a hard one to talk about and it's also very weird so i'm excited (laughs) (laughs) The, the case includes mental illness poverty and the 1931 film Dracula. Wow, what a combination. There's a lot in that. Uh, So today we will be talking about the serial killer, Florencio Fernandez, from Argentina. We'll talk a little bit about his childhood, what is known about him, and finally we'll talk about his crimes. Excellent. So let's start with young Fernandez. So Florencio Roque Fernandez was born in 1935, and died in 1968. So he had a very short, yet very troubled life. We unfortunately know very little about his childhood, but what is known is not pretty at all. So Florencio Florencio Fernandez was forced to live on the streets from a very young age, and many speculate that he actually had, or he was suffering from, schizophrenia. He set up a, um, a camp in a cave close to Monteros, Tucumán, where he was born. It seems that he was a, a loner who lived in a cave in the outskirts of this, you know, town. Um, which is kind of wild, right? Yeah. <laughs> I don't think the housing crisis was as bad as it was now. <laughs> now, I wouldn't even bat an eye if someone was in a cave. I'd be like, yeah. You'd be like, how much are you paying for that cave? <laughs> yeah, Does it have Wi-Fi? <laughs> I'll stay there. I'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> so... One of the things that Fernandez actually, uh, besides the schizophrenia, he actually suffered from uh, photophobia. So he only really went out at night. So photophobia, if I should explain it really quickly, it's the fear of light, I, I believe, right? So it's a, uh, we'll talk about it a little bit later, but it's it's not necessarily fear, it's sensitivity to it. Ah. Yeah, yeah I know. Well, that's tricky. With the phobia call- there. Yeah, yeah, don't trick me like that. I know. Yeah, when I researched it, every uh, a lot of the sources were like, don't, it's not a phobia. It's not a phobia. Da, 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 da. And I'm like, well, then why call it a phobia? Yeah, you've tricked me. Yeah. I feel tricked now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, unfortunately, we don't know a lot about his childhood, um, but we do know about his crimes. Uh, dun, dun, dun. Most sources say that Fernandez killed 15 women during his active period. Wow. Uh, which is a, a, a lot. lot of women. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Fernandez had an attraction to blood and thought he was a vampire. Uh, because of this, his attacks were fairly gruesome. He would stalk women for days, getting to know their routines and um, making sure that they would be alone when he attacked. 
He also liked attacking during summer or warmer days because people would leave the windows open. So he would just go in through the window. Um, mm, makes sense. Yeah. So he would go in, attack the women, usually while they were sleeping. And in some of the victims, according to some of the accounts, he actually cut the carotid artery. Oh. So um, he was drawn to the blood. But it's not clear whether he drank the, blo- the blood or not. Uh, but his... Um, Modus operandi earned him the nickname the Window Vampire or El Vampiro de la Ventana. Wow. That's wild. I mean, the fact that he took advantage of people during the summer. It's pretty harsh. I know. If you can't keep your window open and get a nice breeze without fearing a vampire, then what what kind of world do we live in? Yeah, seriously. Especially as a woman. Like, I can't even keep the... You know, I live on the... Uh, first floor, and it's one of the first times I've lived on the first floor ever. And yeah, I can't, you know, keep my window open at night. I just, I yeah, just not. Yeah, because you never know. It's possible. terrifying. Yeah. Um, according to a Medium article by Samuel Sullivan, Fernandez committed his first murder at the young age of 17. Hmm. So he started really, really young. Um, in 1953, a landlady was found dead in her bedroom. Allegedly, she had head trauma, uh, but she died from blood loss. She had a deep uh, neck wound or neck wounds that were actually human-sized bite marks. What? This and this is, But this is all allegedly, and I'm going to keep saying that, and we'll talk about why this is allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, also in 1953, just a month after this landlady was found, they found another woman who had been murdered in a similar manner. She had bite marks on her neck and bled to death from the wounds. Um, her trachea wow. was severed, and they also found a bloody hammer and a broken broomstick at the scene. Ew. Yeah. So, again, these were very, very gruesome. And I think what added a lot of the concern was the the, you know, supernatural element of it, right? The fact that he was maybe allegedly drinking the blood. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. So he was active for about seven years when he killed these 15 women, and he left behind no evidence or clues. People had no idea who was doing this. And and we should say this is a really, really small town. So that's why oh. people left their windows open, right? It was It felt safe to do that. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. So uh, local police were stumped and had no idea who the killer could be. They had a theory that the killer must be highly educated and a wealthy man. Of course. Uh, yeah, I know. I was going to say, if, if we remember <laughs> our episode on la mata, la met, El Mata Viejitas, we know that the police usually have these kind of theories when they can't catch the killer. <laughs> yes. They're like, it must be a supernatural being that we, you know, who's super squirrely and we can't, they must be just so smart and cunning. They can't, you know, I mean, they just can't figure out who possibly could outsmart them. Exactly. So they, they give them like these, this like genius ability. Um, but as you mentioned, right, the, he had schizophrenia and he was killing when he was 17. So he, there's already some questions popping up. Uh, but the police argued that he, the killer was cunning and calculating and that if he could commit these crimes without leaving behind any evidence. Yeah. Um, after course. about seven I mean, years, 
of the same modus operandi of the stalking women, waiting for them to be alone at night, going through the open window and killing them, Fernandez was finally caught. Um, and according to some accounts, he was actually arrested while trying to commit another murder. Wow. And that's usually, a lot of the times, the police, when they have no clues, that's the only, they just have to get lucky. Yeah. And catch them in the middle of the act. So, so in 1960, after 15 killings, the local police called for backup from the federal police. They mapped out all the 15 murders and found that all of the attacks actually happened close to an abandoned area on the outskirts of Monteros. There's conflicting stories about his arrest, however. Some say he was arrested in, in his cave during the day, <laughs> in his little cuevita, and he was, uh, he was compliant, actually, until they took him out into the sunlight, where he actually started freaking out. Reports describe the cave as the place where he would poop, sleep, eat, like an animal. Yeah. They found... That's wild. I'm just thinking back to, you know, this is the cunning person that was tricking the police and leaving behind no yeah. evidence. No evidence. Yeah. None. And he was probably filthy. Yeah. So they found rotting food and rotted food. So obviously he was not... Uh, he wasn't living well at all. Yeah. He was honestly living like a hamster a bit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the fact that he was living outside of the town right like he wasn't he was obviously homeless but he wasn't even living on the streets or like close to people right he definitely had um social issues yes yes he did so other reports say that the federal police and local cops set up a sting watching the cave and saw fernandez leave one night and attempt to break into a woman's wind house so this is supposedly how they caught him the cops arrested him and he went uh, without a fight. He was arrested, but after a psychological evaluation, he was found unfit to stand trial. I'm not surprised. Yeah, not exactly. <laughs> he was only 25 at the time of his arrest, and he had been killing since he was 17. So, Florencio Fernandez was sent to a mental institution where he died eight years later in 1968. It's a really interesting and sad case that really brings together horror films and mental health issues with true crime. But let's talk about what may have driven Fernandez to these murders. Like, what is the psychology behind this? Yeah, so obviously the psychology behind his crimes are really important because we know he had mental health issues. We know he had schizophrenia, which is why he didn't go to jail. Part of his vampiric delusions are probably connected to that yes and honestly it kind of sorry to interrupt you but it kind of sounds like again i brought this up in the patreon episode but it does sound like the vampire of sacramento he also had schizophrenic delusions and also thought that he essentially uh needed blood to replace the blood that he was losing inside his body he thought he was losing blood yeah so it's really it's it's yeah, it makes sense. I, I think so. I mean, and and I think part of it is a, related to the photophobia too, right? That will mm. encourage him to think he's a vampire if he can't be in the sunlight. Yeah, that actually, yeah, that would contribute to that yeah. psychosis probably. Yeah, so we know that um, 
he was arrested in 1960, so I'm going to assume he was diagnosed then. <laughs> because if he was living in a cave, I can't imagine he had gone to a doctor before then. No, no. That may, I mean, there's no cave doctors. Yeah. <laughs> not, not then. In our, not now then. we might have cave doctors. <laughs> <laughs> now they might be living in there. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Fernandez was also diagnosed with photophobia, which is a medical condition. Uh, people with photophobia have abnormal intolerance to visual perception of light. Um, and it's actually a symptom. I th- It's not necessarily just a c- condition on its own. So it's a symptom of other diseases or other conditions like migraines, uh, mild traumatic brain injury, corneal ulcers. And yeah. there were a bunch of other illnesses or conditions that can give you photophobia. Wow. So you could basically get this even if you don't have some sort of maybe mental illness. It sounds like it's more of a physical yeah. so, ailment. Mm-hmm. It could be uh, based on the nervous system, the eyes, the eye themselves, or a brain um, issue. Like a physical brain. Uh, oh, gotcha, mm-hmm. gotcha. That makes sense. As opposed to like a mental illness. Yeah. Which is why I think oh, that people were like, it's not a phobia. Right? Because you can't treat it like you would treat a phobia yeah that is just why did why did they add phobia (laughs) scientists what are you doing come on now yeah seriously get it together yeah so one of the causes of photophobia too is brain tumors um and it's not clear whether fernandez suffered from photophobia from any of these conditions but i wonder if it was connected to an issue in his brain or nervous system that also influenced his crimes. Mm. Um, I'm not sure if maybe he had a, a brain tumor or maybe he had another like abnormality that caused the photophobia. Gotcha. Some sort of other physical illness or, or ailment. Yeah, like a physical um, issue with the brain. Uh, but the fact that he had photophobia kept him away from bright lights, including the sunlight, right? Which makes sense that he lived at a, in the cave and in I think this encouraged his belief that he was a vampire. Mm, that makes sense. And finally, the other dramatic piece in this whole story is that the movie Dracula was released in 1931 when Fernandez would have been like about 15 years old. Many contemporary news reports about this story theorize that the movie had a great impact on him. Perhaps the images on screen mixed with like his own delusions, uh, loneliness, hunger, and photophobia combined to create this monster known as El Vampiro de la Ventana. So anyways, that's all we have for you guys today. That's the end of the episode. We don't have much more information yeah. on this guy. That's it. That's the episode. Uh, oh, wait. Never mind. There's so much <laughs> more to talk about that we haven't even gotten to yet. Um, I don't know if y'all are ready for this little tidbit of information. Do you think they're ready, ready Brenda? Yes, absolutely. Oh my god, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so this, I'm ready. This case is not without its controversies or conspiracy theories, which I am always a fan of. Yes. Um, you might have noticed, listeners, uh, in our retelling of the case, we didn't give too much information about the victims, even though there were allegedly 15 of them. Um, and this is because these murders might not have happened at all. What? Like, it's just, <laughs> that's so wild. When you told me that, I was like, what? Yeah. So 
Yeah, there there have been many recent articles and reports about how this might have been made up. So let's rewind and break it down and figure out if Florencio Fernandez was a serial killer or if this is a made-up story. Oh my god. Okay, let's get into the conspiracy part Conspiracy. Of it. So first... It is really hard to find any information about the case from that time period, which is already sus, right? Any news article that Orquidia, who did most of the research, was able to find was from an online source and really recent from like the 2000s to today. Yeah. So even digging through some databases that specialize in newspapers from around the world, nothing about Florencio Fernandez came up. Or anything about 15 murders in Monteros, or anything having to do with like the murders, his arrest, and the death of this, you know, vampire at the window. We found articles from sources like uh, Diario Jornada, La Nación, and blogs that repeated really the same stories, but with very few details. It it, it was kind of wild, because... Most of the sources that we found repeated what we mentioned about the case, right? His age, how he committed the murders, the yep. the vampire aspect, um, the cave, but little else, right? Like they all had the same beginning, middle, end, very, very few changes. And again, I couldn't, I looked through like oh, so many databases <laughs> trying to find newspaper <laughs> articles from that time. And there was nothing, which is really, really like a red flag. Because this, yeah. I would imagine this would have been a big deal. It's a huge, it's a small town and it's 15 murders. Yeah. And in such a short amount of time and in such a gruesome way. Yeah, this would have made world news, I think. I think so. Uh, yeah. So um, in 2021, Eduardo Anguita and Daniel Cecchini published an article titled uh, La Increíble Historia del Vampiro de la Ventana, or The Incredible Story of the Vampire at the Window. El asesino serial tucumano que nunca mató a nadie. The serial killer from Tucumán that never killed anybody. Crazy. I know. Uh, so they break down the inconsistencies in the story and argue that the murders never happened. Um, So I'm going to give you all the information that's in that article so we can kind of enjoy it together. (laughs) (laughs) Enjoy this journey. (laughs) So the authors explain how they did very thorough research locally and nationally in Argentina to try and find out what happened. So they spent a lot more time doing research than I did. (laughs) Because they're journalists and get paid to do this. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) We do this as a hobby. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But they, so first they found that there are no court records about a serial killer during that time. Hmm. Uh, There's no documents with testimonies from experts, witnesses, nothing at all. Wow. So no official documents of the ruling that admitted him to the mental institution either. That's wild. There should, if this happened, there should be some sort of paper trail. Yeah. Especially, like, if they must have had, like, an expert um, 
talk to him, right, to diagnose him with schizophrenia and say that he had to go to a mental institution or, or whatever the case. Like, all of these things would have had records. Yes. And it's not even that far back. You can't say that it was 19, the early 1900s. Yeah, exactly. Like, I feel like we have more information from cases from the 1800s than this one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, they also found that between 1953 and 1960, there were no news reports about murders with the specific modus operandi that the vampire on the window supposedly used. So again, it was, you know, he would wait until night going through the window and really supposedly, allegedly bite the neck of these women and drink their blood. They found none, nothing mentioning that between 1953 and 1960. That's wild. Yeah. Then they also visited the archives of La Gaceta, which is a local and important newspaper in Tucumán, in that region. And again, they found nothing about that case and no information about the crimes or Fernández's arrest. So they were looking for, you know, crimes, the information on the crime, victims, and Florencio Fernández himself, and there was nothing. That's wild. There's, I mean... Yeah, there should be something. Like, even even his existence. Exactly. These guys are awesome, honestly. They also interview people that would have been around during that time. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah. <laughs> right. So they talked to a journalist from Tucumán named Marcos Taire. He was born in Monteros and spent most of his childhood there. So he's from that town. And he would have been a kid during the time of the crimes. But he also worked for La Gaceta as an adult. Again, this is a big local newspaper. So he should have been familiar with the crimes, either growing up in the town or working for the newspaper. Yeah. Uh, but Taide told them that... Um, and I'll, I'll, we'll read the quote in Spanish and then translate, because it's kind of funny. So, <laughs> so he said, Nunca escuché nada de eso, y en Monteros tendría que haber causado conmoción. Si pasa algo así, es imposible que yo nunca haya escuchado. El caso policial que más recuerdo de aquel tiempo fue el de un tipo de apellido Ibáñez, un ladrón al que le, la policía mató en un cañaveral. Ese lugar se transformó en sitio de peregrinaje, pero de esto no supe nada. So, wow. Yeah. So he said, quote, I never heard anything about that, and in Monteros, it would have been a huge story and shocking. <laughs> if something like this happened, it is impossible that I wouldn't have heard about it. The major law enforcement case I remember from that time is about a guy named Ivanez, who was a thief. The cops killed him in a reed bed, but about this case, I don't know anything. Wow, that is, that is like the linchpin in this. Yeah, and so part of what he said in Spanish that I didn't translate was, so where the guy Ivanez was killed by the cops, um, he said that that place or that site was transformed into a, a pilgrimage site. Oh. So people would have remembered or had something to yeah. memorialize the victims of a serial killer, it sounds like. Yeah, they would have done... We would have heard some, like, some information about even his victims, yeah. Yeah. Not just him, but 
who who did he kill? Exactly. Like they would have mem- memorialized them somehow. There there would be a plaque. There would be something in the records about the victims. Yeah, and yet there's nothing. That is so wild. So finally, they interviewed older neighbors from Monteros. They told him Fernandez lived in the barrio of um, Villanueva, outside of Monteros. The family was nicknamed Los Cangrejos or the Crabs. <laughs> they didn't say why, but yeah, that's kind of an odd, that's kind of a weird nickname. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you must be memorable too, though, right? That, that shows that they were a memorable family. People would have known about them. Yes, and the fact that they were called the crabs, yeah. the crab people. Not maybe they loved crabs a lot. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe they walked walk sideways. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Who knows? So neighbors confirmed that Fernandez did go in through people's windows, but not to kill, to steal. <laughs> so his whole family was actually a family of thieves. The parents were alcoholics, and the kids lived on the streets without any supervision my worst nightmare honestly <laughs> unsupervised children, children. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that, that sounds like a nightmare yeah i would not want to encounter that so and actually that's not all anguita and Sechini even found a distant relative of fernandez they interviewed them and the family members said he was a sick child but not a killer Ah, Anguita and Sanchini conclude by saying, Ladron, sí. Boyerista, tal vez. Pero nada indica que Florencio Roque Fernández haya sido un asesino en serie. So that, that's actually a funny quote. Yeah. So let me translate it. Uh, thief? Yes. Voyeur? Maybe. But nothing indicates that Florencio Roque Fernández was a serial killer. Wow, so that, I mean, that's their conclusion. That's, yeah, there's he didn't no exist. evidence. That or he did, he did exist. It just, he was a crab person who stole. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, and <laughs> the article, that's all they talk about. Like, it, it was a family of just poor people that sometimes stole and lived on the streets. We don't know, or they couldn't find anything about his life beyond that or his death. We really don't know when he died. What? Yeah. So the the death that we have was just from the other articles that talked about the crimes. Dang. And in that research, because I know you did a lot of the research and read the article. I didn't do shit. So uh... <laughs> I, was, I was so hooked. Like, I, I still, I've never been to Argentina. This is making me want to go to Argentina so I can figure out what this guy, who this guy was why the story happened that's the the question why yes why so i was actually going to ask you if you came across anything that hinted as to how this this story kind of snowballed from from him being a thief a common thief to a killer i don't know um the earliest articles i could find were early 2000 I couldn't find anything older than that. So I'm not sure what was going on in Argentina at that time. Or if this came out of something else. Hmm. Or if this is an urban legend. It Because the stories don't change. So it's hard to figure out which one was the first one. Yeah. They're just basically, they're, whatever the first article was, they just copied and copied and copied and copied yeah. down. 
Pretty much. It's it's been a wild ride. I've really liked this episode or researching for this episode. <laughs> it sounds like it cuz and they those journalists, kudos to them. They really they really looked for this yeah. person. Yeah. Cuz it's such a fascinating case and we'd love to hear what um people think about it. What what do y'all think that y'all that are listening? <laughs> <laughs> do you think Florencio Fernandez was a cold-blooded serial killer who drank women's blood? Do you think it was all fake? Was it was he just a mentally ill young man that inspired these horror stories? I don't know. <laughs> Cuz I do I do know that, you know, when people have mental health issues, especially him living in a cave and things like that, that would yeah. inspire some stories. Yes, and I, I mean, do we even know that he lived in a cave? Good question. I do not know. Because that's the <laughs> other thing, right? It doesn't seem like these stories are coming out from Monteros, right, of the people interviewed. We're like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. So it's actually something that must have sprung from people outside of the city, or outside of this region, even. Yeah. Where this legend, I, yeah, that is so, that's such a big mystery. Yeah. Wow. And, and then the other question is, if this really happened, then where are all the files? Where's all the information? Why would that not exist? Would they be hiding that? If so, why? That's right. I mean, if it did, let's say, okay, let's play like a game where we're like, okay, it did exist. Um... There's no record of, of files being lost. And how do you thoroughly lose that much? And how do you have a case like this remain out of people's, like, consciousness? Like, how does it, how does it disappear from people's minds, essentially? No, exactly. And in the article that uh, Angita and Sachini wrote, they even said that they were like, why would people keep their windows open? Like, if it is a small town, people know each other, wouldn't these women close their doors or be more aware of someone following them? Oh, so that... So basically, the story is almost relying on women being not very smart. Yeah. Because, yeah, like, if your neighbors are getting murdered in these horrible ways, why would you leave your window open? Yeah, if you're the 15th woman, you're like, God damn, why did I leave... You should know by then. Exactly. <laughs> and again, the fact that there's no information about the victims is really suspicious. Because um, 15 women, it's a lot of people. You would imagine they have families that would still be living there and would remember these things. Yeah, they would They would 100% memor- memorialize them at some sort, like in some sort of way. People would have remembered them as as yeah like living their lives and stuff so that is so wild that is so wild because then that's the other question right if this isn't real then why would people make it up and why would reputable sources keep sharing the story that is fascinating and i wonder if it goes back to what we started you know we began the episode with about true crime and people's fascination with true crime and maybe Maybe someone was inspired by Dracula. I don't know, but they started, you know, somebody must have been spinning some sort of tall tale to someone else. And they were like, man, that sounds great. I'm going to write it down. Yeah, that's why, like, that's why I wanted to start with this one, because it is. It is such a horrific case if it happened. 
And but if it didn't happen, it's even it's still confusing. It's still a case. It's still something. So is the crime yeah. the fact that this man is now his legacy or his memory is being tarnished by being called a serial killer? Yeah, a killer, a horrific killer of women. Yeah. When he was, and a when monster, he was just schizophrenic and poor. Yeah, and he was just you know he was made into a monster when he wasn't. He was probably just poor and mentally ill yeah exactly wow wow so that so that is the real end of that of this episode <laughs> that is really it that is all we have it feels like a roller coaster ride and i've enjoyed it <laughs> <laughs> and i normally don't like roller coasters oh, I hate them so that too. Was... i didn't know that about you yeah i hate i hate heights oh okay i don't mind the heights i hate the i always feel like i'm gonna fall out i'm too chunky and I always feel like it's not locking right, so I'm just going to fly out the roller coaster. I have the opposite uh, experience where when I was younger, I was like 99 pounds, right? Yeah. In high school, I was about 99 pounds. Um, it wasn't until I went to college I even I got to 100, over uh, slightly over 100. So I was really, really skinny. So I went on not very far. <laughs> there was a, a wooden roller coaster, okay. and the thing didn't reach my lap. So I was in a squatting position the entire ride. That's terrifying. Yep. Yeah. I, I, I guess, yeah, those rides are made for average-sized people, and we are not average-sized people. No, we're, we're not. <laughs> we're Goldilocks, too big or too small. We're on the other end of the spectrum. <laughs> oh Either way, we would have bo- both flown out the roller coaster. We would have died. We both would have died together, at <laughs> yeah. least. You know, that's that's yeah. how we would want to go. Well, we hope the yeah, listeners exactly. enjoyed this roller coaster. We hopefully nobody jumped out of their seats. Yes, exactly. So, ah, uh, to end it, thanks. You know, again to everyone for listening. If you love what we do, please consider joining our Patreon to listen to exclusive episodes and any future news um on merch that we might have. We are. You know, working on stuff. <laughs> We're getting ready for the Halloween season. Y'all know that's our bread. That's what we love. Yes, that's what we love, and we're already thinking about it. So we're working on that stuff right now, and we will let Patreon. The first people who will know about that stuff is going to be our Patreon supporters. So if you have a choice, a chance, please join. You can also support us by leaving a review. Please leave us a review. It's uh, the best way to, you know, get more people to listen. And if you have any monsters, creatures, or legends you want us to cover, let us know. You can connect with us on either social media, via Twitter, Instagram, or on our website. We do have a form on our website, monstrospodcast.com, where you can actually submit a story or a monster that you would like us to cover. And people have submitted some stuff. Oh, I'm excited. I haven't seen that yet. Yeah. Well, not the fo- not in the form. Okay. Um, <laughs> no, not the form. People have emailed us stuff at oh, monsterspodcast yeah. at gmail.com. You can also email us, and we've had some people email us, and I'm definitely, you know, ready to cover those stories as well. Because we've covered already some, some stories that people have submitted to us. Yeah. So we're always so, excited to learn and hear from y'all. And I definitely want to hear what y'all think about Florencio Fernandez. We should set up a poll. Do people think he's real or not? Or yeah. was he a really serial killer or not? We'll set up a poll. Exactly. Because I, I need yes. to know. We could do it on both Twitter or Patreon also. Okay. We could do it on both. Yeah. But yeah, let's see Let's see what y'all, y'all think, okay? Yeah. So, anyways, that's it. And goodbye, and make sure you don't get... <laughs> <laughs>
you don't leave your window open and a serial killer comes in. Yeah. Watch out for that and watch out for fake serial killer stories too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Fake news. Fake news. Stop writing oh, stop shit. writing fake, fake news. news. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Bye. Bye.